Yeah, you were, you were the last minute cancellation. Yeah. yeah, but I'm here, so. You are. Thank you. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 16 of 2022. I'm Chris Louie, and happy Easter and tax day to everyone. With me, I have my co-host, Uncle Barbecue, who is still trying to figure out if he's looking at his tax bill or his phone number. Dude, I, I wish that was true, because that would have mean I was making serious bucks, but that's not actually true. But due to insanely accurate tax planning last year with my CPA, I will be spending my uh, tax return on getting the extra guac at Chipotle. So if you're wondering how I roll, that's how I get it done over here in Arizona. And a side note, for those of you, you guys can't see Chris right now, but he's literally like dressed like a five-year-old that found a thousand dollars. Like he's got like a Domino's t-shirt on, he needs a haircut, and for some reason he's got his Bitcoin billionaire uh, necklace on that I, I'm, I'm, I think it's suspect. I don't think it's real. Yeah, that's not real. And guac is always extra. Never forget that. Never forget that. Like the Titans. Never forget. Yep. No Glenn this week. There's actually a hilarious story about how he got stuck, and I'm sure he'll tell us all about it next week. So here's my Glenn impression. Hey, guys. Welcome to episode 56. Glad to be back, and I'm broadcasting from my pool. Too deep. He's not that manly. Yeah, that's true. You, all right, you go, Brian. Let's hear a Glenn impression. Hey, guys. I'm back on the podcast. Episode number 56. Why does he sound like he's high all the time when I do his impression? I don't know. <laughs> well, filling in for Glenn, we are honored to have Ron Burkett as our guest. We'll call this the first episode of our Founder Series, as Ron has been here as long as I have, and he helped build the SE organization here at Zscaler. Ron, would you like to introduce yourself? All right. Thanks, Chris. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I wanted to <clears throat> come on the show. I've been listening to you guys, and I always hear all these guys from the West Coast talk, and I thought, you know, it'd be really good if, you know, maybe someone from the East Coast would join and give maybe a little bit different perspective uh, but as Chris said, I've been here at Zscaler for uh, wow, almost six years now. Uh, so uh, I've seen this uh, team grow up from a bunch of rough cut uh, individuals to a well oiled, smoothly running machine today. So it's been a, it's been a blast being here this long. Uh, I am based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, but I did spend most of my uh, formative years in Pittsburgh, PA. So that does mean I am a Steelers fan. So I'm um, sorry, and yes, we still have the most Super Bowls, or at least tied for it. Uh, but anyways, um, we can maybe talk about that in one of the future episodes. I uh, hope everyone had a great Easter, and you're all getting all through your sugar hangovers from eating all those jelly beans. I know uh, Deech isn't touching that stuff with uh, you know his new vegetable diet that he's doing. But uh, for the rest of us, I, I hope you enjoyed a lot of chocolate, peanut butter, eggs or whatever you call them and some good jelly beans yeah it takes strong willpower but out of curiosity does pittsburgh are the, is pittsburgh tied with tom brady for number of super bowl wins not tom brady with the, team. <laughs> the franchise ah because uh, yeah of course some of those super bowls for tom or at least the last super bowl he won came from another one of course and i saw that nice facetious face as you said that but uh <laughs> nice try so mr tom brady fan 
Hey, you know, my, my dad's from Boston, so uh, I had to go with it. But I will say I actually was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So there's one of my, uh, you know, answers to my questions if you're trying to brute force my account. <laughs> yeah. And Ron, you're a Penguins fan, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, to be honest, a little bit of a fair weather fan when it comes to hockey. I'll jump on the bandwagon when they're doing well. Um, I mean, any football or hockey is definitely more interesting to watch than baseball, right? Um, so, yeah. Who has it, time it, for baseball? <laughs> like, my my worst nightmare. So, my daughter is dating a, a, a boy a little over a year now, and he's like, he's actually being scouted by like MLB. And my worst fear would be like for them to kind of stick together and like get married. And then he becomes like a successful like baseball player and I'd have to go to his games. I'd be so pissed. I would not want to do that. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, well, it's probably even worse than when your kids are in sports and they're in that awkward age when they're not very good anymore and they haven't self-selected out and you're forced to sit there and spend a whole day, a whole Saturday watching, you know, a football or a baseball or whatever game. Uh, and, uh, you know, you want to be there to support your kids. Don't get me wrong. I love, you know, just watching them play, but you know, there's not a future in it for them. They're just kind of there having a good time and you just blew, you know, 20 hours of your week watching that. So <laughs> yeah, you're there to support them. Was well, I had a very similar situation with my daughter and she was going into her junior year and she's like, it made varsity. She's like, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm like, why, why are you even playing? She's like, cause you like to watch me play. I'm like, I love to watch you play, but if you don't want to do it, like if you don't love what you do, then peace out, like get out of there. And she's like, Oh my God, thank you. I was so done with it. Well, combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here, not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. For our opening topic in honor of tax day, here in America, I thought it would be fitting that we talk about Intuit, the parent company that makes the popular TurboTax software used by millions of Americans to help them self-file their taxes. I used TurboTax for years before my financial situation got too complicated and I outsourced it to the professionals. While I was using TurboTax, I already disliked them because they're extremely deceptive about their marketing. For example, if you have a Schedule C capital gains sale on, on a stock, you only need the deluxe edition. However, if you look at the matrix that Intuit puts out, they say you have to buy the more expensive Premier edition to handle the, the stock sales. I only found out I needed deluxe edition and not Premier because I did in-depth research and got the answer from other users who, who were equally confused. Well... Intuit stuck its foot in its mouth again and is getting sued by the U.S. Federal Trade Commission for deceptive advertising with its, quote, free tax filing offer. Our U.S.-based listeners have no doubt heard on the radio, TV, and online advertisements about free tax filing with TurboTax. Now, for a small percentage of Americans, that is true. If you have a W-2, you can file your own 1040 easy or have TurboTax do that for you for free. But if you have something like bank account interest or mortgage tax deduction, you do not qualify for the free tier. It's only after you spend hours and hand over all your personal information and financial data does TurboTax tell you you do not qualify and you have to pay them to file. A real scumbag corporate move when you think about it because TurboTax could ask a few questions up front to qualify or disqualify a user from the free tier, but they only bring it up at the very end. Most people who know me know I'm uh, pretty passionate about taxes and uh, 
and by the way, I pay my fair share of taxes, right? I, uh, I don't do anything nefarious or illegal, but still it's, it's always been frustrating to see what they take. But, you know, when I think about this one, it's kind of funny. You said that the federal government is actually suing them, Chris. Yeah. The, the federal trade commission. <clears throat> yeah. Because isn't it the, the federal government who basically pushed this whole program? If you go back and look at the history of the, of where e-filing came from, they required tax providers to, you know, provide free tax returns for certain qualified types of tax returns in order to be able to use e-file service first, I think, and then second to even get listed on their website as a partner. Um, and by the way, it's a scumbag move. They're deceptive, all that good stuff, right? It shouldn't be what they're doing, but do you blame them for trying to upsell someone for a little bit more TurboTax to do a little bit better planning or something they throw in with it? I mean, if they're a scumbag for trying to upsell, then I am the world's largest scumbag based off of my upsells as well. I think it's one thing to, to upsell. I think it's okay to upsell. I, I'm like, I'm pro-capitalism. Like you, you should be able to make money. If you work hard, you should be able to make as much money as you humanly can. The problem is the deceptive part of it that it should not require like hours of research online to figure out which tier you need. It should be pretty clear. Like if you have stock sales, you need deluxe. If you don't, if you know, if you have rental income, then you need this, this version, but they do it in a, in a way that I feel is, is deceptive and misleading. Well, maybe they should just um, go back to no free e-filing. You have to pay for it and then it could be upfront for, for everyone. Um, and you know, if you don't want to pay for software, then you know, print out and mail an old-fashioned return, right? <laughs> that you know, if they're, I think the government is partially to blame here for creating this system. Again, into it still doing it deceptively, so that's not good. But you know, it, there is still that old paper option. I actually did. So I do like Chris. I do my taxes with a CBA, uh, CPA every year. Uh, but this year, I had three kids that we had to file, right? Or I could have claimed where they can file themselves. There's benefits both ways. So I, I looked at TurboTax's thing and I, I kind of felt the same way. I'm like, do I pay or is this free? It's kind of weird and ambiguous. So I went out to the IRS's website and I was like, I want to file. And it gave me a list of things. So in that list, I, I picked something, went over there, registered. By the way, kind of impressed. They were forcing MFA, strong passwords and all that good stuff. I think one of the flips of the coin of doing like the quote unquote free stuff versus into it, at least for my comparison with a couple of the kids was, was the process on the free one, if you took too long to, to fill something out, it logged you out. You lost that information. You're like, damn it. Like, so I got to re-log back in and start over. Or importing your W-2 just didn't work. Like, things like that. Because I did both the, the free thing and then I also went to TurboTax. And so the only one that actually made sense was filing for my daughter who started her own little small business this year. And so the 119 bucks that it cost to file with TurboTax, plus I think a forget what the registration fee, maybe another 30 or 60 bucks was exponentially better than trying to do it through the free tax filing, which didn't cover the business and stuff like that. So I think you were kind of a little damned if you do, damned if you don't. But uh, in either case, it's it's doable. I think it just depends on how complicated your taxes are to do. I think my head would explode if I tried doing my own. Actually, it does explode. I'm not going to lie. Like, it sucks every year, freaking six hours. And I think companies like Intuit and H&R Block and Jackson Hewlett, they have a vested interest in keeping the tax code needlessly complicated. Like when you, when you get down to it, like, oh, you 
have to calculate the square footage of your house that you use for your home office and this portion's deductible. Oh, but you know, this is the kitchen. Sometimes work out that like all those rules, I think, is is needlessly complicated. And and that's how the CPAs and all the software makers stay in business. But that could be my my tinfoil hat coming out. But I, I personally think the tax code is way more complicated than it needs to be. I mean, technically, I take a lot of phone calls from the throne, if you know what I mean. Is that tax deductible as well? And is it if it's enclosed area, can I do the whole bathroom or just the little closet that I sit in? I don't know. Is that the day you bought uh, a tax write-off for you? <laughs> it's refreshing. That's all I know. Uh, Actually, you can't even get that home office deduction anymore. So um, you can at least take that complicated one out. But, but in all honesty, I think you guys are hitting on the the right point, which is why is the tax code so complicated? that you have to spend hours and spend time with the CPA. And then you end up getting into all the fun political conversations like, well, what is fair? What, how much should someone pay? And how do you create a rule to protect this special group or, or not? And which in itself creates a lot more politics. So, you know, I don't know about you guys, but what do you think if we just switch to complete like sales tax like that? No income tax, nothing at all. If you don't want to pay taxes, don't buy stuff. I mean, technically, that is double taxation, what we're going through right now. So I'm not against it. I'm also ready for just a flat tax code as well. doesn't really matter. Like The VAT system. I remember Andrew Yang was was promoting the VAT system, the universal basic income, and we'd pay you through it through a, a VAT. It, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think they do that in, in Europe right now. Like I have, I mean, I've, I see both sides to it. So I have cousins that live in Denmark, and they said like a, a used Ford Fusion. I used to have a Ford Fusion here. It cost um, maybe like $30,000 here. And they said a used one, like a three or four-year-old used Ford Fusion is like fifty dollars or $60,000 in, in Denmark. And that just has to do with the import duties and the taxes and everything. And then they said, but on the flip side, you know, we get free healthcare, we get free college, we get free childcare, all this and that. So eh, it's, it's like, do you want government run? Do you, if you believe the government can spend money better than than you personally can. It's, I think, yeah, to your point, what's fair for me is going to be different than fair for somebody else. Yeah. I just want everything to benefit me, not piss me off at all. So can we do that? Like, is there a politician out there that wants to do it? But United you know, States of uncle barbecue. Yeah. Uh, out of, I think Chris, you've heard of this, but, uh, I'm Ron, I'm curious if you've heard of this really cool tax shelter and I'm not being facetious. It's called an opportunity zone fund. Have you heard of that? I have. That's uh, as I understand it. That's where the federal government has designated certain areas, so to speak, on a map that are you know usually some qualification, like you know they're either low income or need revitalize. And if you uh, invest in property in those, usually talking about rental property, whether it be commercial or, or personal, uh, then you qualify for at a minimum delayed if not no taxes in some cases on some of that property. So <laughs> it's it's a huge benefit. But the, the reason they did that in theory, the reason they can justify that particular tax loophole is they're saying it, it's a way to get people to invest into areas they would otherwise not invest into. Like all good intentions, uh, I think if you take a close look at the maps, because I did go and start zooming in a few of them in different places, there are some interesting areas that got included in these opportunity zones, um, which obviously are there to benefit certain people or lobbyists or whatever, you know, urban legend you want to believe on, on who's supporting who. Um, but yeah, it's just another example though, of some crazy complications, right. In, in the tax code system. Yeah. It's wild to think like, let's say that you had 
I don't know, stock that you wanted to sell and you're subject to short-term gains and that's, you know, tax at your normal tax bracket. And let's say that you were at the, the upper end, like, you know, 37% plus your state. The ability here would be like, hey, let's take that million dollars. Let me go buy a property in one of these areas. If I do, And if I own that property for 10 years and I reinvest another 500 grand into that property, my tax liability is zero. So I'm, I'm literally taking $375,000 worth of, the government's money using it to buy something and then in, meanwhile right i am going to be renting that place out i have passive income like it is it is beautiful my only challenge is trying to find something like at least in arizona it's insane it's like well you can buy something for like you know 50 grand which is the nothing like i don't even know how to make that make sense or 15 million i'm like i don't have that kind of money so uh, jay if you're listening i need a i need a nice little hit so thank you i just want to correct one thing you said of the government's money you're saying it's theirs in the first place that, that just did that didn't feel right <laughs> true true but i mean if i if i just paid it right that it, that's technically their money this is a good way to defer it it's, it's crazy that these that there are these things out there and if you look at it the cards are kind of stacked against certain people even me in this scenario right i don't have 15 million to take advantage of this but if i had a smaller amount that made a little bit more sense then yeah it'd be a great little tax shelter for our first topic, the U.S. government announced that they disrupted the Cyclops Blink botnet controlled by the Russian-backed sandworm hacking group before it was able to be used in attacks. For reference, Sandworm is the GRU-backed group responsible for attacks against the Ukrainian power grid that knocked out power for hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians and the highly destructive NotPetya ransomware attack. Cyclops Blink enables the attackers to establish persistence on WatchGuard and ASUS networking devices through uh, corrupted firmware updates and providing remote access to those compromised networks. Now, this brings into question the legality of the FBI going into these infected routers and firewalls and removing the web shells that were created there. The FBI did something similar with the proxy logon vulnerability last year, which affected Microsoft Exchange servers. And they apparently did the same thing this time around. The FBI removed the web shells, but did not patch the boxes and left them open to reinfection. The FBI obtained a court order to clean only the infected boxes identified as the command and control servers, so they are likely in the clear for that one. But what happens when malware authors catch wind of this trend and they install a booby trap? What if there's a new feature in the malware which wipes the box or sends a kill command to infected devices on the network if the web shell is uninstalled? Then who is responsible for cleaning up the mess? So, you know, usually I'm pretty definitive black and white guy. I'm kind of on the fence on this one, though. Like, what do you do? Uh, you know, on one hand, like, hey, you didn't patch your server or router with something that was so obviously, you know, basic... IT security 101, you know, even if they do patch it and something goes awry, like you said, well, like, so what? You were probably about to get owned anyways, in which something worse would have went on. Yeah. Um, so kind of like who cares? At the same time, you know, it's the whole typical slippery slope type thing, right? You know, once they do that, what stops them from deeming something else as bad and jumping in when it really isn't and then using it for other pur purposes or the who's watching the watchers statement, right? Uh, maybe they could just have a little more fun with it. And, you know, if you've ever worked with a number of different groups like the energy sector or finance, 
they get a bunch of sheer blacklists, some of which come from our government. What if they just start blacklisting them and giving those IPs out of all those devices so everyone automatically blocks anything from them? That actually might get the attention of the admin a little more because now instead of waking up and having a fixed router, they can't do anything unless they actively go try to uh, you know, get removed from those blacklists. And at the same time, you've limited the blast radius of you know one of those infected devices. Yeah, that is true. That that because it only affects the command and control servers. So if it's if all these organizations ingest this list to block access to these command and control servers, at least things like critical infrastructure, the finance, like highly regulated industries, would be able to block from that. But that again doesn't stop that from you know the average or doesn't protect the average user. This this uh, FBI's motives here remind me of what my high school guidance counselor had to say to my parents one time, and it was that I I showed great potential, but I applied myself inappropriately. I don't necessarily know that. I think I know that there's some good intentions here. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're thinking WatchGuard and ASUS, this is probably not like an enterprise. This is probably somebody's dentist office, like so home office, think, small office type stuff. Yeah, like it probably like your house, right? You got a bunch of junk there. And so I think anyone that's ever bought like an Asus router from Walmart is probably pretty stoked. But again, at the end of the day, can we just have like an auto update feature on all IoT and just call it a day? Yeah, at least anything with a public facing exposed interface, right? I mean, if someone doesn't want to update their smart TV or Alexa, I don't really care. Right. But if it's facing the internet, yeah, that's the question, you know. Why haven't they, you know, these vendors implemented that? Yeah, that, that gives rise to the gray hat hackers when uh, Microtik had a bunch of routers that were that had zero days uh, a while ago. A couple of years ago, there was a hacker out there on Telegram, like finding these infected routers, going in, removing the web shells and patching them and saying, you're welcome, basically. But he got a lot of pushback that he's like, oh, you're, you're coming into my network and without my permission. And I'm like, no, this guy's trying to do a good thing. What are the chances you think if, if these vendors did have an auto update that um, they'd make like a really bad update and brick everyone's devices? Like what would the fallout be from that? Uh, rise in sales, duh. <laughs> That's the one argument, the only valid argument I can think of of why I should not have auto update. Just like we've seen with Microsoft, you know, Microsoft has bought their fair share of updates. Like if you have auto updates turned on, yeah, it's... Um, that's the only argument I can say is against it, but you got to weigh the benefits. The benefits of having a cleaner internet outweighs the possibility of a, a, a potential bad update. So I have a, so regarding your statement, Ron, about anything internet facing, having auto update, I actually have a, a LG smart TV. I've had it for years and I very rarely would use it. It wasn't until like COVID started that I was using it as an auxiliary monitor. And then one night, one morning I woke up and it was just like tons of alerts of malicious activity on my network. And it was that stupid TV when I turned it on, it was phoning it out to home. And I think it was trying to pull down some sort of malicious APK or there's already one on there running. It blew my mind. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a risk. But again, even that, if it's infected, yes, it could generate lots of traffic from behind your machine. But it's not an attack surface directly in the internet like a router, yeah. right? So it's well, less... Yeah, and it can be used nefariously either way, right? Um, you know, but that assumes that someone is either first there or the manufacturer was breached. And if you have that assumption, you have all kinds of problems. And your only option is to really 
you know, VLAN them off and, and really block the heck out of them on your network. Yeah, that's yeah. that's more in the supply chain because I, I too have an LG smart TV and, and there's an app that you can download on it. It, it displays a nice fireplace. It's cheesy, but I, I use it. And then, yeah, just one day, I fired up the app and I got this nice block page that says, you're not allowed to visit this website because host in the Russian Federation. Oh, wow. Yeah, I felt that one before too, Chris. I think it with uh, some cameras that I had purchased on clearance from Home Depot ones. I think I talked about another podcast. Uh, for our second topic, piggyback, piggybacking off our discussion of Tor from last week, I'm the only one who's used Tor, but Brian has the most ex experience of all of us using darknet marketplaces. Well, Brian, I'm sad to say your favorite darknet marketplace, Hydra, has been shut down by German authorities with the help of U.S. law enforcement. You will have to find your murder for hire contracts and stolen Russian submarines somewhere else now. Hydra has been operating since 2015, boasting 17 million customers worldwide, although they were mostly located in Russia, and over 19,000 vendors with sales amounting to at least 1.23 billion euros in 2020 alone. I'd like to see how that stack ranks against the, the Fortune 2000 companies where those revenues line up. Hydra follows the downfall of other darknet marketplaces Brian frequented, such as the Silk Road, Alpha Bay, Hansa, Dream Market, and Valhalla. So what is a dark market? So dark market is sort of like Amazon or eBay, but it's used for things like selling drugs, murder for hire, and fake IDs. Hydra acted as the largest money laundering organization for Russian ransomware crews, helping crews like Ryuk and Conti cash out their ill-gotten gains. Now, before you ask, Brian, how these guys got caught, we'll have to wait for the criminal indictments to become public. But darknet marketplaces typically get popped for one of the three reasons, and they all involve poor OPSEC. Sometimes it's a VPN that either is either faulty or they forget to turn it on when they connect to the backend infrastructure and their IP address is logged. Some use their own personal Bitcoin addresses that they use to cash out. They've used it. It's tied to them, and then they use it for these, uh, these marketplaces, and they're able to trace it back to them. Or lastly, a rogue staffer who blackmails the site's users or the admins that could leak the credentials and could aid in law enforcement's investigation. You're killing me. I have no idea what you're talking about with these websites for the record. And for anyone listening, I will tell you that I did like search around. I'm like, you know, like what is, what's the Tor website actually look like? And, and maybe I'm wrong or maybe outdated, but everything looks like it was like one of those MySpace homepages that was customized in 2006, like with like an under construction logo and blinking stuff. Like, is that, is that real? Or am I just out of date on that, that search? You can host any website on Tor. It's just Tor is the method to get there. So the websites are usually .onion, and then the actual website, you don't go to facebook.onion, you go to, it's, it's a random string, which I believe is the website's public key, public half of the key, .onion. Okay. And that's how it, it routes it. So it makes it extremely difficult to find out where the origin, the original server is. So I can't, so using Tor, I can still browse Facebook if I wanted to? Yeah. Facebook actually set up a special website for Tor because the way Tor works is your exit node, you can pop out literally anywhere in the world, anywhere there's an exit node. And Facebook.com views that as suspicious because if I log in all day from California and then I, all of a sudden I pop out in uh, Santiago, Chile, they view that as suspicious, even though it's still me. 
So there's a special Tor website that if you're accessing it through Tor, you, I don't know the, the exact address, but they had to set up a special Tor website so you can log in through Facebook uh, using Tor. So you've, you've you have elaborated on like some key use cases for Tor, none of which I'd ever use, right? Like selling drugs, murder for hire, fake IDs. Like that's not even the realm of possibilities of anything I'm interested in. So what are some legitimate things to do here? It's, it's used for political dissidents to access censored information, not sophisticated like China, and you, you're able to access the Tor browser. You can, you can visit websites that are usually censored. Did not know that. So you're saying if I'm in mainland China, great firewall, I can use a Tor browser to get out and see stuff on the Western internet. I'm not smelling what you're cooking. So, so China is a bad example because they are highly technically sophisticated. So let's think of the, you know, Uganda, Democratic Republic of the Congo, maybe not as technically sophisticated, okay. but very high government censorship. Gotcha. I'll say I'm thinking more like someone wants to leak information to a reporter and they want to make sure it's not traced back to them. That would be someone yeah. that would be using Tor for a we'll call it non-nefarious <laughs> reasons like buying uh, your own submarine or, or whatever else you had there. Could I do it to have like maybe like an unsliced Domino's pizza delivered to my house and be like, I don't know, honey, <laughs> to show it up, better eat it like a taco. Yeah, I mean, don't you still have to, regardless of Tor just hiding you to get there, like it's, it's kind of like, uh, so what about Tor? Because you still have to pay for it somehow and exchange money. And I think that's what this press release was all about, which is, hey, we shut down one of the places or the sounds like a, a payment gateway. But then you start reading it and you, you said, you know, 1.23 billion euros alone and like their bus was 25 million. That was probably like just one crypto coin they hijacked 10 years ago. Right. And <laughs> like. So is this kind of like our competitors' press releases where they claim all this great stuff and like, oh, it sounds really good on the surface. And then when you dig in, it really doesn't mean anything. And it's like a drop in the bucket. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like trying to count all the particles of sand on the beach. It's, it, it's, it's always the case that, you know, Hydra gets taken down, then three others will pop up in its place because there's always going to be a need for it. Same thing happened with Silk Road. Silk Road shut down. Silk Road 2 came up. Alpha Bay shut down. Then we had Handsome Market. Um, it's, it's a little bit like whack-a-mole, but at least it's, it's, it's progress. Well, all I see here is opportunity, like, like zero, uh, risk. I can just go on there and be like, Hey, I'll sell you drugs, like 50% up front. And then 50%, you pay me when it gets delivered and just take a bunch of 50% and then it's never deliver the drugs. All right. We'll name it Brian's market. See, you know, you talk about multiple versions popping up the next version, Silk Road 2, et cetera. And you know, the, yeah, so the German government got some good press. We shut down this bad company doing these bad things. But, you know, I think it's more like being a parent. So let me let me explain what I mean. And there might be a better way to deal with it. So if you ever had kids use the Internet, you know they're, of course, going to do things they shouldn't. So as a parent, one of the things I learned early on is the more blocks I put in place, the more ways they, they try to go around it. So sometimes you just leave certain holes open or you find out they're getting around your security and you don't care. You monitor, you watch, and you learn everything. For the longest time at one point, so this is this is going back a number of years ago, um, one of my kids, he was waking up every morning with big bags under his eyes, right? So it's obvious he was staying up doing something he shouldn't. And, uh, you know, at that time, I think it might have been an iPod. This is before, you know, he had a cell phone or whatever. 
And um, turns out when I started looking at the logs, he, he you know, he was, you know, on Instagram. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. And a lot of the parents were pretty conservative. They told their kids no texting, no chatting. They'd turn it off for kids. But they just did this thing where they met at Jake's face. And meeting at Jake's face was the code word because they would go to Jake's picture. This one was just this one other kid, Jake. And they would chat using the comment section of Instagram. All right. So what I think the German government should have done is instead of shutting down the site, just like start monitoring all the transactions. Like don't block it. Try to learn and listen and use it for your next move to you know actually prevent the really bad thing or to really shut them down hard, not take like 1% of their assets. Yeah, that actually happened. I think it was Alphabet. They, I think they arrested an admin. The admin flipped and then they gave him the credentials and they actually monitored the website for months. So I think they did exactly what you did and they got all this information, people's real addresses, people's you know shipping address, people's real names and went through all the private messages. And then they, they had some gigantic takedown you know, all at the same time. So they, they have done that uh, before, but it was always the intent of shutting them down catching as many criminals as possible yeah by the way we didn't talk about jake's face for the longest time we just kept watching on instagram because on top of it he had an open profile so we were able to actually see exactly what all the kids in the school were talking about and know their innermost secrets that they didn't want to share with their parents it was actually kind of scary at some point you have to say okay enough you know, it's actually good to be naive and stupid. Sometimes we know about Jake's face. You guys need to find another way to start chatting. Yeah, especially if it's open to the public that if you can find it, some predator out there can find it. <laughs> predator being Ron. <laughs> you know, when I when I hear... I'll go ahead, Chris. So I'd rather be Ron than, than a lot of the other people out there. That's true. You know, when I hear Silk Road, uh, all I can think is like there's this, this saying, or I don't remember what it was from, but... It's like, let's say that you have, you come across, you know, two roads. One road is smooth, silk, and easy. And the other one is literally covered in dog crap. Some people take the low, the road less traveled. That's my favorite Robert Frost poem. So I don't know why. That's just what I'm thinking when I hear Silk Road for some reason. We'll have to circle back on that because we talked about it in English Lit and Robert Frost was kind of a jerk when he wrote that. And uh, I'll have to explain that to you later. Sounds good. All right. For our third topic in a lesson of what not to do, it has come to light that during the lapsus break, uh, breach of Okta's third-party uh, supporter, they found a little file on one of the computers titled domadmins-lastpass.xlxx. Now, the vendor claims there were no passwords in this document, but that's only if you believe them. The file format and the file naming of this is exactly how it would look if you exported a list of passwords out of the LastPass password management program. Now, what could possibly go wrong if your enemy gets a list of all your domain admin passwords? Are you sure they're not talking about Dominic Toretto from Fast and Furious? That's a reasonable, yeah. The way to check it is to see how many times the word family appears in the, the Excel doc. <laughs> Look at Chris shooting from the hoop or from the hip today. You're hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. When you read the, the story behind this, again, it started taking over a VPN that someone didn't patch, right? Or maybe the patch wasn't out for that particular one. Uh, I don't know. <clears throat> it's 
pretty dumb to do so many things like have a exposed IP when you have that much, uh, you know, to do it. I mean, especially for Okta to use a contractor that doesn't even use their own software because doesn't Okta claim to offer zero trust too, right? Um, it, you know, there, there's just so many things that it, it's not that I don't believe it. It's just laughable how, how bad that is. Like, you know, maybe maybe I should check with the, you know, some of our Zscale or Legal first too to see how many of our vendors use our own software and do something better. But, um, you know, that, that's a, the first thing I'm thinking. And then second thing is, um you know, why is there, I get exporting it. Like if I was switching, I switched and exported all my last pass passwords to Bitwarden, but then I promptly deleted the file. What was he doing exporting that file in the first place? Who is that going to? So do we have like a rogue admin or do we have someone that is just not wise? Yeah, it's the, the digital equivalent of having the password on a post-it on your monitor, it's, 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 it's some guy, maybe, maybe they're, maybe they stopped paying for LastPass and they just had to share this file amongst the, the admins they got, they got cheap on them and, and discontinued or because LastPass discontinued their free tier now, and now they had to switch to something else and they just left this file sitting there. This reminds me of that meme you used to have, Chris, where I think it was like a dog sitting in a kitchen and everything's on fire. He's like, everything's fine. This is fine. <laughs> this is fine. I don't know. Man. Yeah. You know what they say? If it, uh, if it looks like, never mind, we can't actually say that on the podcast. So, so can't Brian, didn't monetize us, teach. Yeah. yeah. Brian, didn't you have a prediction on one of the prior shows about um, you're predicting some future like supply chain incident or something as a result of this one? Or is that some other hack I'm thinking of? No, I think we were all making predictions. I thought Log4j would probably be one, even though it's been patched. I thought that was going to be probably the, the next big one. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, spring for shell. So you're on the right track with that one. I mean, this one could show up later too, right? I mean, if I, if these guys really use this and then used it to jump to the other companies, right? That's the fear if Okta got breached. Not so much for Okta, but they use it to backdoor whoever, you know, any of the different security companies that use Okta. Then, you know, how long do they hold on to that before they use that? And it really leads to what looks more like a supply chain attack. A hundred percent. And then this is why we need to start looking into deception as well. So let's say these passwords are compromised and I go from Okta to vendor B and I'm, I'm in right now. I need to bounce around the network like a field mouse and, and do destructive things. This is why I need to have active defense out there, capture that stuff because rest assured, you know, if you're putting pressure on, you know, a server in the environment, you're putting pressure on literally probably everything that's out there. And if you can identify, you have credentials that are being replayed against a decoy, right? Think about how great that is. It's like, well, now we know definitively this is the account that's been compromised. We can go ahead and lock it out, you know, put it in there. even decoy entire... credentials too. All right. For our last topic, and it will be a rotating topic every week, we're going to continue the trend about talking about scumbag corporate moves. The TV manufacturer Vizio is now showing banner ads over live TV. Now, you heard that correctly. If it wasn't bad enough that TV has commercials in itself, you also have to deal with banner ads from the TV manufacturers. Now, Adam Bergman, who's VP of sales at Vizio Ads, says, and I quote, jump ads represent yet another step in Vizio's ongoing mission to unify the smart TV experience with features that benefit viewers, content providers, and advertisers. Vizio uses automatic content recognition to identify what's on your TV screen at any given moment. And if the system detects 
a specific show on live TV, then it can show you ads in real time. For example, if I'm watching BattleBots, my TV may serve me up an ad for tickets to go watch BattleBots in purchasing, which happens to be a personal goal of mine anyways. Now, this is less creepy than having a camera in the TV watching you, but I still don't like it, and I still can't figure out how this benefits the viewers. I would rather have a dumb monitor than a smart TV at this rate. I'm with you, but people are lazy. Some people would be like, man, this is my opportunity to get my BattleBot tickets so I can go see it in person. Or maybe the price is right or Jeopardy or whatever other shows out there that people still watch. I don't watch TV, so I don't know. So, like, is this technology really smart? Where is it? Are we talking about just as crappy apps that come with the TV, like their live TV app that's built in? Or are we talking about if I have an Apple TV or Roku plugged in, it can detect what's dis- being displayed over one of those devices and insert an ad? Can you imagine? Yeah, my feeling is it's it's the latter that no matter what you're watching, they can throw an ad on top of whatever you're watching, regardless of cable TV or Apple TV or fire stick or, or whatever you use. I don't know if AI can pick up on this, what I'm watching as much as what I might be able to hear. Right. So I think that if they can intercept the audio, they'd be like, Oh, this guy's watching star Wars. Did you know Disney world has a new attraction? Click here to buy tickets. So I guess it doesn't make a difference if I'm watching the office on live TV, Peacock or my DVD copy. They're going to know I'm watching The Office either way and, and give me ads on funny memes and cups. Bottom line is, we love The Office. I don't care what anyone says. You get 10 shrewd bucks for that comment. You know, uh, my first thought was you can skip all this by using an external device. But, you know, and, and by the way, I did that a long time ago in my house. Like, all if you have, like me, and you have TVs you bought over the years, they're all different. And you have the family factor, right? And it's a pain because none of the apps work right. So... You kind of have to pick, am I going to put like all Apple TVs out there, all Roku devices or something? So the user experience is the same because I think you guys are like me and you get tired of playing tech support at home all the time. So at first I was like, who cares? And then I'm like, oh, if it's worse. So now is this another subscription I'm going to have to pay to turn it off and have ad free? Right. And because if Vizio is doing it, you know, it's coming to all the other TVs as well. Or you're going to pay 40% more for the TV. Yeah. so, So you bring up a good point. If, if there's a trade-off, like when I bought my Amazon Kindle, the, the e-paper one, I bought it and I got a discount knowing I'd be served ads. And that's, that's a fair, that's fair. Like that's a social contract I can get behind. I pay less, but I get served ads. When I buy a TV, there's no expectation that I'm going to be shown ads. Like if they offered the ad version for a, a discount and then a non-ad version, I think I could probably get behind that a little bit more, but for them to just buy a TV, push a software update, and then just start blasting you with ads. I think that's irresponsible. Didn't Hulu do that? They had an ad-free version of Hulu that still has commercials. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. But every once in a while, there's programming on there that says, you know, ads are, they have to be shown with this particular series that you're watching. Mostly ad-free. Kind of ad-free. Asterisk. <laughs> I can tell you why this is going to be a problem for me. So I upgraded from a like a 1080p TV to 4K. And when I was there, uh, I'm like, I don't even understand why I'm spending the money. Like, I, I can't see the difference between this $800 TV and this one for $4,000. They look the same to me. And the other day, I was at Best Buy. This is, you know, about two years difference. And now they have 8K TVs. And yet I'm standing there thinking, I, I don't know why I would do this. Unless this thing's going to pop out and give me a massage, 
I don't know that there's any value going to 8K. And then, then, then the other question is, do I even have a device that can stream 8K? Is that even real yet? Or am I just gonna run like, you know, some random footage off of YouTube? Does YouTube have? Yeah, the content has to catch. When 4K first came out, it was, uh, I think Netflix came out with their with their 4K, but it was like fake 4K. Like there's, there, there's Netflix 4K, yeah, there's upscaled 4K, and then there's like true, you know, the, the DVD is like 60 gigs worth that like true 4K. I forget what the, the term is for that. But there's there, even with 4K, there's varying levels of it. Then there's HDR, there's not HDR. And yeah, some of the home theater enthusiasts can can probably educate us on that one. Not much. I don't know. Like, you know, why, and by, by the way, why do they always go to like National Geographic nature or underwater ocean scene? when they want to sell their 4k or now 8k TVs, right? It's the first thing that's in that content. And you're like, is that the most important thing I need to see? Like Bambi getting killed, you know, to, to help me decide <laughs> that I want to buy an 8k TV flower blooming. Yeah. So when I switched, I switched to OLED a couple of years ago and you can definitely tell the difference between led and OLED because the blacks are really dark and really deep and really rich i watched the martian so i watched the martian in true 4k on oled and you it was night and day difference between regular led and oled yeah i think it's those really dark scenes where you see the difference but that's as much like i said the screen technology and the contrast as it is the actual resolution being 4k it's supposed to be like an age thing i'm just old and i can't see um if they're doing this whole video or ads based on the video you're watching, how does it work if you just block it with your, you know, cloud firewall to keep it from ever getting to the internet? I mean, won't that just totally break it or will they, will they like stop kind of like a web page doesn't load if you don't see the ads? <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. Like other, other people that we work with have used pie hole. That's the ad blocking, uh, it's a VM where you can throw it on a Raspberry Pi and yeah, that blocks YouTube ads, that blocks TV ads. So yeah, you could totally block this. Most likely you can block this with uh, with a pie hole or with some type of cloud firewall. But that's only if you're tech savvy enough to be able to set something up like that. I wonder if you can man in the middle and we can insert our own ads. So like when Glenn's sitting down <laughs> watching his TV, we could have fun and like automatically just sit, you know, send him a message like get out of your pool. Can you imagine though? There's a banner on top. It's like page can't be displayed. You're like, damn it! Like I, this is a great idea in theory. I guarantee you, they didn't think about that. And they're gonna have, have like the 404 instead, or 403s. Yeah. All right. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, our guest Ron is up. All right. Hey, can I have more than one dad joke before I go, or do I have to just pick my best one? You can murder someone in front of me and I wouldn't care. So, <laughs> go for it, man. All right. So all my jokes are in honor of tax day. All right. right? And they are truly dad jokes. So first one will go. What do you call a Sith Lord who doesn't pay his taxes? I don't know. Darth Vader. Ah, uh, all right. All right. Or as, as uh, Glenn would say, womp, womp, womp. All right. They get better as we go. Okay. All right. Why shouldn't atheists pay taxes? Why is that? They are not for profits. True. True. <laughs> Took a second. Dad I saw jokes, the faces. Very literal. I'm liking it. All right. All right. So the last one's right. the best. 
High hopes. All right. Why didn't the IRS agent's wife, or excuse me, why did the IRS agent's wife leave him? Why? She said their relationship was too taxing for her. <laughs> All right. That last one's a true dad joke. <laughs> I'll give you that one. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> All right. To wrap things up, Intuit's having a bad time due to deceptive marketing. The U.S. FBI is taking down a botnet's command and control infrastructure. German authorities took down the Hydra dark market. Don't store passwords in Excel spreadsheets and avoid Vizio TVs at all costs unless you like seeing ads. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pebcac Podcast. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rate us five stars in the iTunes store and Spotify and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the Pebcac podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach and our guest host Ron Burkett, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day. Good having you on, Ron. As they say in the AA, keep coming back. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks. Up my stick. <laughs>